On Halftime, the world game with Carlos Alberto Diego from Fordiegos.com. For auction your car, car auction this Saturday. Al Shalhoub, here goes Al Sharani, Al Katani, Comets with the save! It's an extraordinary save! Little touch off goal, and they They've are the it. history makers! They've done it! The Western Sydney Wanderers, champions of Asia! In just their third year of existence. Eight minutes past one, Carlos Alberto Diego in the studio. History-making moment there <laughs> for the Western Sydney Wanderers. It was fantastic, Kev. I mean, it was uh, obviously, they're, they're, you know, I'm from the west of Melbourne, as, as you are too, and we're very proud of that, that area too. Uh, so I, I can assume that the people in the west of Sydney would be very proud of their club. And uh, there's been some great articles written um, by non-football journos in Sydney about the effect of the club and we'll get to that in a minute but uh, it was a terrific uh, performance and people talk about it being lucky and of course that over the two legs they were very very lucky but yep. to get to the final of a Asian Champions League against uh, you know mega buck team you know teams put together by millions and millions of petro dollars and, <laughs> and so forth right throughout Asia and beating some of the biggest teams in Asia and doing it away from home scoring away from home in many many of those occasions uh, the actual achievement to get into the final was no fluke yep. and it was not lucky uh, over the two legs you know you defend well enough uh, and you get the the rub of the green as uh, some of the uh, West Sydney Wanderers players have admitted to uh, since they got back uh, but you know ultimately uh, they're a team that's three years old you know, I mean, uh, I think uh, Melbourne City's just marginally older, and look what they've achieved, uh, and uh, not only uh, in the A League over that time, but also now in, uh, uh, as the champions of Asia, going to the World Club Championships in uh, in December with the possibility of playing uh, the likes of Real Madrid. So. What a fantastic that's moment that's stuff. going to be! Yeah. yeah, that's exciting stuff. Did they win this at the expense of the the start of certainly of their A League season? Uh, look, if you're gonna if you're gonna start badly, if you're gonna have a bad patch in your A League season. You might as well start off badly. And if you've got a, if you've got the things like an Asian Champions League uh, final to prepare for, and then a World Club Championship, you almost you know, uh, you, you back your resilience, you back your your, je- your depth of your squad, your yep. coaching ability to be able to overcome all that. And uh, they haven't been super, super bad in the A-League. They just haven't been getting the results. And now they're, I think they'll have two catch-up games. Um, and so, again, people might say, well, that's in the bag, but you've got to get the points for that. So I think they, if, if you gave them the option of uh, winning a Champions League and uh, the, perhaps uh, the money and, and, the, and the prestige of going to a World Club Championship in December, I think they'd take that at the detriment of uh, maybe a, a slower start in the A-League. And they certainly haven't wrecked their A-League season. No. They'll, they'll get that back on track, no doubt. Um, well, tell, tell us about the, the, the club itself and, and the impact that it's had. I mean, you mentioned, quite rightly, it's the same age as Melbourne City is, and the impact that Western Sydney Wanderers have had is, is far greater both on-field and certainly off-field. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot, a lot of my. I keep on talking about my friends who are just now growing to actually take a real interest in the game. I mean, they've always loved their sport. They always sort of, 
you know, a courteous to me, just listing me go on and bang on about <laughs> soccer the whole time or football. Uh, and now, but now they're actually asking me questions and, and actually not even asking me questions, but telling me about what they've heard and and refining their knowledge a little bit. And uh, you know, there's a lot of those people who have suddenly uh, stood up and started listening and, and watching what this West Sydney Wanderers have achieved. And uh, you know, they're a club that's only three years old. They were a club that were actually put together by a rookie coach, uh, Tony Popovich, who who was a, a great soccerer for us, a great defender who um, who had gone overseas and actually coached overseas as an assistant coach at one of his old clubs in England, uh, Crystal Palace, and he also was an assistant coach at Sydney FC, but he was never a, a head coach before this role. Yep. Uh, so they gave him the job. Uh, he basically was very hamstrung with regards to draft and salary cap, not draft, sorry, salary cap and who he could recruit. Uh, and a lot of the side that he recruited in year one were just cast-offs from other clubs who and players who were just uh, dismissed by other clubs and uh, and they really were at the crossroads of their own career. And he was able to mould this team into a really competitive unit. And they didn't start off so well. In the first uh, five, six, seven games, they didn't even look like scoring. They were a side that uh, were really battlers, but they didn't look like scoring. I thought... They're just going to be a, a team that uh, they're just going to meander through this season, maybe finish mid-table, uh, maybe near the bottom. And people would have accepted that, but they've gone all the way to the finals and then uh, created a, an enormous momentum that not only went through that year, but also the following year after that in the Asian Cup. So, um, you know, their first uh, attendance at their first home game uh, was 10,000 people. So they've had to build that over time. Everyone's talked about West Sydney being the heartland of Australian football. And I, I, I've got to say, over the decades... I've been sick and tired of hearing that because they've had Marconi in that region, Sydney United, big, big clubs in Australia, but not clubs that would bring in 25,000 people every week at their home games. So, you know, I was so sick and tired of hearing the, uh, the, the it's a heartland of, uh, New, of, of Australia and, and, and I couldn't understand why the FFA couldn't put a team in there during the a, uh, in the, in the um, development stages of the first 10 years of the A-League. Yep. Uh, but they finally did. They almost they mucked it up too. There was a lot of bids in there and probably the best bid didn't get it. The, the guys who did get it uh, didn't have the money in the end and so they almost forced the issue of putting the side in and they had an incredibly short timeline to get it done. So everything about this is incredible. Uh, it's, it's a film. It's a, it's a feature-length <laughs> film about how this has been put together and, and uh, the backs against the wall stuff. Uh, in uh, Riyadh um, on the weekend was un- unbelievable. Uh, they weren't the better side, uh, but in football, the better side doesn't always win, yep. uh, and they accept that too. But, you know, there's something to say about resilience and, and uh, just absolute not accepting defeat. And, uh, and that's, I think, that's the character yeah. of the side, isn't it? Yeah. Culture, as everyone says these days. He's obviously built a, a, a terrifically good uh, character within that group of players yeah. and, and that whole sort of the football part of the organisation. Yeah, and Nicola Topper Stander, he's their captain. Uh, three years ago, he was on the scrap heap. He was a guy who'd been around different clubs, talented, uh, but, you know, uh, well-known party boy uh, in his, uh, you know, outside of football and uh, not always at his physically, you know, physical peak when it came to playing. And uh, he was getting, you know, moving to club to club and uh, just not getting the best out of himself. Suddenly, uh, really, his last chance was uh, West Sydney Wanderers. Tony Popovich has uh, got a hold of him. He's chopped off the uh, 
the uh, you know, almost the jungle type locks he had, and uh, and now he looks like, like a real footballer, really fit and uh, just a fantastic captain, and, and also forced his way into the Socceroos squad. Uh, you had Matty Spiranovic who came back from you know really getting lost in his football overseas. I think he, he was in uh, in the Middle East before he came back to West Sydney Wanderers. Really, a guy who should have been the Socceroos five or six years ago as an established first team regular. Uh, just again lost his way, came back to Australia, got his. Uh, got his football back on track under Tony Popovich, went to the World Cup, probably our best defender at the World Cup. And now, you know, uh, a player will be a 10-year Socceroo. And uh, there's a number of other examples of players who played under Tony Popovich and really resurrected their career. Shannon Cole's another one who I didn't rate for many, many years. And uh, again, a fringe player wherever he went, suddenly he's playing in the Champions League final and uh, done a fantastic job for them, uh, especially this season. There was a moment in that uh, in that series uh, that will uh, be replayed and replayed and replayed. The save by Ante uh, Kovic um, is one that I've heard yep. people talk about and compare it to the uh, to uh, other other great saves in uh, in the history of uh, the game in this country. Yeah. Oh, look, uh, when Mark Bosnich turns around, I mean, look, Mark Bosnich is a you know he has a bit of fun with his football, but when he comes to goalkeeping, he he is really a a supreme knowledge. He's done it before himself. He knows what shot stopping's all about. Yep. And the 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 goal that he saved, uh, and if you get onto the Google, and they, all you have to do is type in. He made many saves, by the way, over the two legs, but the save in the second leg, just put that in, into yep. Google, and you'll be able to uh, see this goal. And the, and the reflexes and the strong hand, when you go down the way he did, uh, reflex, often your hand's not as strong because it, you're sort of doing it so quickly, but the strong hand behind it, this guy's 40 years old. Yep. And, you know, people uh, uh, you know talk about retiring you, even goalkeepers at 38, 39, this guy's 40, and they're talking about him, you know, people are clamouring for him to be, be included in the Socceroos for the uh, for the Asian Cup, you know, a lot of the goalkeepers in the A League don't have uh, they're good goalkeepers. All of them are good goalkeepers, but they talk, you talk about a person who dominates his penalty area, dominate is a presence there. Yep. Uh, Ante Kobic is the archetypal goalkeeper who just commands his whole penalty area, and it almost starts from the back for them. Uh, he's a guy so big, so strong, so commanding that. He would be really intimidating for anyone trying to put a goal through him because yeah. he just doesn't—he just doesn't look like he's going to ever shift at all. So, uh, and you know, he was obviously a leader, and he has been a leader. They had—we, uh, we, you know, we we saw the vision of uh, all the. You know the flare, the the, um, the lasers that were, you know, uh, sort of uh, pointed at him through the whole game. But he almost—you can always see him use it as an inspiration and a motivation to to you know be focused. And yep. it really had the opposite effect for those fans over there in Saudi Arabia was doing that. Yeah, you know, player of the series. Let's tell listen to you. He's talking about what kind of uh, person his coach is. The player he was driven, and as a coach, he's probably even more driven. Um, you know, I've known him for a long time, and the way he manages a team uh, both on and off the field is is second to none um, you know he knows what he knows what he wants uh, tactically um, and expects everyone to follow what he wants his major strength is uh, the man management side uh, getting the most from players getting players to respect him you know work for him fight for him and he's the kind of guy that's not going to give you any nonsense if, if he's happy he'll let you know if he's not you'll um, <laughs> definitely know about it. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, he, he, he protects the players. He, he believes in the players, every single one of them. He just expects you to give you 110%, and um, that's, that's what you want from the manager. And, you know, he, there's only a select few that uh, have that balance where, where 
you know, there's a club with a little bit of fear and respect <laughs> yeah. at the same time. And, and you really want to work for a guy like that. There you go, talking to the boys on the Morning Glory. Uh, now, I want to talk about uh, the impact they've had off the field uh, after the break. Uh, 9421116, if you want to join the conversation uh, with Carlos Alberto Diego about the Western, Western Sydney Wanderers and uh, the world game in general, give us a buzz. It's 19 past one here on 1116 SEM. 22 past one here on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Carlos Alberto Diego in the studio. Now, what are, well, what's been the magic that's happened off the field that uh, with the Western City one? Yeah, I, I, you know, with sport, um, I love my sport, and uh, those people who listen to the Diegos over the years know that it's it, it's more than just the game. We we actually love the values, and uh, you know, sometimes the values that are, 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 are very positive can really unite a community, can really include others, and uh, you know, those divides that we see in the community based along religion or you know. Uh, economics or just even code rivalry, ethnicity yeah, the well. ethnicity, all that sort of stuff, which has uh, always been prevalent in soccer. Let's be honest. Uh, yeah, yeah, it has. In, in, in yeah, probably, I heard you before as I was driving in talking to one of the guys from the horse industry, and you know, the people making comment about yesterday yep. are based on what they've heard in the media and, and you said a lot of the comment and a lot of the uh, backlash has been ill-informed. Well, yes. that's how I feel sometimes uh, with the old NSL, how that was reported. Yeah, and it was interesting you were saying that because uh, those people who are just sort of uh, watching from afar and they pick up on an incident, they think it, it, it happens all the time in a sport when it really doesn't. And that's, that was a classic case of uh, you seeing it in uh, horse racing there. We've seen it in football for a long time, especially in the old NSL. Yep. I mean, the tennis saw it also with the, remember a couple of years ago yes. where we had, you know, the, uh, the, the groups of, uh, uh, the ethnic groups coming in with their flags and uh, causing a bit of trouble. It actually isn't about the sport, it's actually about the antisocial people in the sport and that's what and you know people tar a sport with the with the whole with this whole image according to what they see but um with regards to what west city wanderers have done i mean it was interesting article um and you know i've heard a lot about what they do in the community and stuff but a lot of clubs do great stuff in the community uh but one of the articles written by uh, sydney morning herald uh journo michael shamas in uh, in sydney he's a rugby league uh, writer and it was uh, i like to read what other People from other codes, you know, especially journalists from other codes, write about football. And you know, one thing that really resonated with me when he wrote this uh, article, and uh, there was a line that he put in it where it says, "Croatians and Serbians are singing as one, united under the Wanderers banner, rather than being locked out of venues, while Christians and Muslims are dancing to the same beat." Now, I'm not sure whether that's over the top. There's no reason why a rugby league writer would would necessarily be over to, over the top about what he's seeing is happening in Sydney. Uh, I did watch uh, uh, ABC all of Monday night, uh, and uh, of course after I watched the Phoenix and Victory game, and uh, and I mean they had Q and A, and George Brandis was thrown into Bankstown, and he had to justify all the stuff that's happening with the government at the moment. And yep. It just showed how divided that community was, how disenfranchised disenfranchised they were. Uh, through that whole, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Q and A show, and uh, this guy's saying that this football club is more than just a team that wins games and, and performs really well and does it for the support. It's actually bringing the community together, a very, uh, you know, disaffected community in many cases, yep. divided community, a very. Um, very diverse communities, and uh, and for me that's a, that's a fantastic result. And I'm just wondering whether any other any other sporting club in Australia is, really does that. I mean, a lot of sporting clubs at the top level do fantastic work in the community, no doubt. Yeah, I think uh, AFL, yep. uh, cricket, um, football, uh, every sport does. Netball do fantastic work in the community, but where they really go in and actually bring people together 
to the extent that this journo has said, uh, that that's uh, I don't think any any club's really done that before. And I'd love love the listeners to maybe contribute to you know why they think West Sydney Wanderers, you know, this club that was built on you know a rookie coach and uh, you know discarded players uh, with a very little time to get it together. Why have they been so successful? Maybe on the field, I think we could talk about the coaching stuff, but off the field and to the point that they can do this, yeah. you know, that's that's really uh, fascinating and I'd love to hear what other people have got to say about and it. And is it a prototype for what GWS should be doing in that same area? Yeah, uh, look, uh, yeah, that's, well, that, yeah, I think GWS would be foolish if they weren't, you know, really scrutinising forensically what West Sydney Wanderers have done. Yep. Uh, I think that uh, Rugby League would be more worried because they felt that they own that area anyway, because Penrith, uh, yep. the Panthers, and I think the uh, Parramatta Eels. Eels are over there. So so I think they would be more worried, because Red Western Sydney, I think, and the AFL knew what they were up against going in that area against rugby. Now they've got the football, but the football seems to be, you know, really... Uh, you know, head and shoulders above all the sports in that area. So, love to know what people think uh, the theory behind this, and can they replicate it anywhere else? Like, yep. can Melbourne City grab that and do something in <laughs> Melbourne, for example, with it? John's in Moody Ponds. Good day, John. Yeah, hi guys. How are we? Good, Good thank mate. you. Look, I, I think um, it was the best model that FFA has created uh, by going to the people, by having meetings with people, and I think the common thing that unites all the people on, on, in the west of Sydney is that the football and I think, you know, I've said it to a lot of uh, people who, you know, got a bit upset when NSL uh, finished up, but I was always waiting for the day, like this journal said, where a Croatian can sit next to a a Serbian, Australian, or a Greek, Australian, next to a Macedonian, Australian, and barrack for victory or barrack for Western Sydney. I think that's... But the common thing is the passion and the the underdog theme and and, and football. That's... uh, United Western Sydney, um, so yeah, I'm a, hats off to them. And uh, I think you know your next couple franchises that come up, uh, that's got to be the blueprint. It's got to be where well, you know people decide the colours, people decide you know um, the name. I mean, Wanderers is uh, a name that's been created in 1880 by um, a team of, of expats of uh, from Britain that had a team playing under the banner of Wanderers. So the respect is there, and it's, it's a multicultural um, centre in, uh, in um, Western Sydney, and hats off, hats off to them. As for, um, I think, the importance of Asian uh, Champions League to Australian audience, couldn't happen to a better club to showcase how important and, and passionate people can be. Because, you know, hopefully now that midweek fixtures become a bit more... Um, Interesting to people, and, and hopefully the stadiums get a bit more than you know seven to eight thousand uh, people to a game. But yeah, no, fantastic uh, performance. I was up. I'm coming through and through victory. But I was sitting on the edge of the seat, and I'm, I'm sure few of the fans might uh, disagree with me. But I was, you know, edge of the seat. Um, Coverage is safe. It was just, um, and you know, like or no like, it doesn't matter. Round of 16, semi-final, uh, quarter-final, they beat the champions so, of each country that they played. So. 
John, you make a really great point, and perhaps you know we're we're, we're underestimating uh, what Melbourne Victory and to an extent what Melbourne City has already done in this uh, state. Because uh, you go to a Melbourne Victory game, I went to the Derby, and uh, and of course uh, the most of the people at the Derby were Melbourne Victory supporters because it was their home game. Yep. And uh, and uh, you look at that crowd and the diversity in that crowd, uh, you know, uh, male, female, uh, different nationalities, all sitting next to each other. Perhaps the focus is on West Sydney Wanderers at the moment because of what they did on the weekend. What they've done since uh, year one, but perhaps we shouldn't uh, underestimate what the other A-League clubs have done and uh, probably don't realise they've done it, but they've probably got the sport that automatically draws everyone together and they don't do it under an ethnic flag. They do it under, you know, uh, a region yep. uh, such as Melbourne or Adelaide or you know, yep. Central Coast or whatever. It's a geographic mm. thing rather than uh, anything else. Good on you, John. Got uh, the Midas Auto Care voucher for you, $50 from our very good friends at Midas, that's uh, 13 Midas, 1364.32, or you can book online at midas.com.au. We'll take a break, come back, plenty more of your calls. Welcome on 9429 or your text thoughts. Got a few of those on 0433-981116. We're talking the world game with Carlos Alberto Diego. It is 25 to 2 here talking the world game with Carlos Alberto Diego. Speaking of the world game, the Socceroos take on Japan in a friendly on the 18th of November. The, uh, the squad was uh, named today by Ange Postacoglu. Have a little listen to Ange uh, speaking at today's announcement. I've been really impressed with the A-League the first uh, few weeks. I think the standard's gone up another level and I guess it's a good indicator for me, uh, a form indicator if players are doing well in the, in the A-League that um, you know, they won't look out of place at the next level. And um, you know, It's as much about saying that you know, for all the players, I guess, if, uh, if your form warrants it in, in the A-League, you'll get you'll certainly get looked at from international perspective. And uh, the reality of it is this is a four-year cycle, and, and we've got to pick players who we, we're confident are going to be part of the program for the next four years. Um, again, that doesn't rule out anyone, but every selection I make has to be against the backdrop of us building a side for the next four years. You've got to deal with realities, and the realities are that we, we need to expand our playing pool. It's as simple as that. You can't just manufacture that overnight. This cycle post World Cup when I looked at it if uh, you know in the next four year term that I'm involved in this will be the only time we've got any sort of friendly games to speak of beyond the Asia Cup we'll have World Cup qualifiers that won't be the time to throw players in they won't be the time to experiment they won't be the time to give guys an opportunity to sort of expand our playing pool so whilst every coach would like to have a settled lineup should our national team ever be settled I have question marks against that as well because as I've said from day one I don't feel that anyone should think that uh, being part of the national team is guaranteed. So there's always going to be an element of competition whenever I select a side. But what we're going through the process at the moment has to happen. We need to, to go into this Asia Cup having a bigger playing pool to choose from. I don't want to get caught short by injuries on the eve of the Asia Cup as we did in the World Cup. And uh, from that point of view, I, what we've been doing is, is working exactly as I want it. Socceroos coach Ants Postacoglu there. Now, is there anyone stiff in this squad that you've had a look at? Well, there's going to be some people asking questions about Josh Kennedy. Um, he's, they're playing in Japan. He plays his club football in Japan. And he's not selected. And also, some may argue that Luke Wilkshire should be in there, given that he, even though he was uh, dropped before the World Cup and uh, there was some question marks over his behaviour in camp, uh, he's doing quite well with Feyenoord in uh, in Holland, but he's not picked. It seems like his career, his international career is over, unless there's some reason why Ange has left him out. There are one or two of them, like, for example, Matt Speranovic, who's just come back from injury, and Tommy Urich, who'll definitely 
probably be in the final squad for the Asian Cup who haven't been selected, and that was deliberate after you know a conversation with uh, Tony Popovich that those guys have to continue to play to be right for the Asian Cup. Um, the issue with Josh Kennedy, I had a look at uh, his more recent playing record. hasn't played since. Uh, August, I think, and he was scoring goals up until that time. So it seems like he came after the World Cup. I think he, he didn't get selected because of an injury. I think he started the Japanese or uh, the J League, uh, or he's played a few games there, but he hasn't played for the last four. So I would say, given that he is a regular scorer with Nagoya Grampus, that uh, that that would be because of injury, which is really disappointing because I think uh, someone like a Josh Kennedy who's got a proven goal scoring record would be probably selected if he was fit and firing Uh, Luke Wilkshire look you know we just heard Ange talk about what his role is and it's probably very different to what uh, Holger Osik was uh, his role and also Pinver Bake was all about winning games every every time they played well Ange is almost copying the heat for what's happened with his record. Two wins and, and a number of losses since uh, out of 11 games. His record's not great. We're at 94 in the world at the moment. He's copying the heat for all that because he knows down the track he needs to have a team that could go to the 2018 World Cup and be really competitive. And as in his own words, he wants to make sure people fear the Socceroos when they go to the 2018 World Cup. When are you going to look at the plays? You can't look at them... During the two thousand, sorry, during the Asian Cup, you can't look at them during the qualifiers. He needs to have his squad set right now, and uh, so you know, I would think that if Josh Kennedy was up and running and he's fit and healthy, he would be in that squad. But really, the the guys who have missed out, they might come in. I know he's got uh, Mitch Nichols in there, having a look at him. Aaron Moy, um, Matty Mackay will be probably a member of the Asian Cup squad, so he's been brought in. Uh, but really. Um, I think he's really now narrowing it and we're seeing what he's got to come up with. And uh, Ange actually will be on the run home at uh, 4.40 tonight uh, talking to uh, Daniel Harford and, uh, and Dr Turf about uh, that squad. Is he building in a number of layers? Is that is that what he's doing? He's building for two or three different uh, sort of, um, I guess, eras or or um, competitions? Yeah, look, I think, uh, I think the, the beauty of what he's got from now, I mean, the World Cup probably came a bit early for him. In that uh, the 2000, uh, the more recent one, 2014 World Cup came a bit early. In that he was transitioning the side and suddenly went to the World Cup with a, a team that was transitioned. We were really proud of the fact they did, you know, they they performed in a competitive way. They didn't win any games, and that sort of sort of grates with everyone because we still didn't win a game and uh, we left quite early. So that probably came a little bit early for him. But the Asian Cup is uh, really the. Uh, the launching pad, uh, even though he's expected to go very well in that Asian Cup, I think uh, a very, very good semi-final loss would be the minimum. Yep. Uh, but people are expecting them to get to the final and, and expecting them to win. Now, given that Half told me last week that Australia is 11th in Asia, ranked 11th in Asia, I can't believe that, by the way. Uh, you know, and suddenly we're going in, think- yeah, suddenly we're going in thinking that we're going to win the Asian Cup. But look, it's on our home territory. I think the boys will really lift. I don't know whether we'll be at our best, but uh, the boys will be uh, lifting and they'll uh, and they'll play as good a football as they can, very competitive and go at teams. So yeah, I'd be disappointed if we didn't at least make the semi-finals and have a if we're going to be outed at the semi-finals that we didn't do very well 
up until that point in time. So, uh, but you're seeing also like he's kept as his page in the team in the squad, and he's also got Jason Davidson. Jason Davidson hasn't been playing a lot for West Bromwich Albion. He's sort of the number one left-sided fullback, yep. and uh, and I think he's bringing in these guys. Uh, he's you can see him sort of have two or three options for every position because he he needs if players aren't playing for their clubs regularly, he needs to make sure that they're on their toes and not thinking they're comfortable at all. And uh, I think as it is there, I mean. Chris Hurd is going to be really putting a lot of pressure on everyone in that squad. Uh, I noticed Brad Smith is a young boy who declared his allegiances to Australia rather than England. He's a Liverpool boy. Yeah, he's a Liverpool boy. Really great up-and-coming up talent, but he's not playing, so not sure what that is about. We can't read too much into players not playing. Adam Frederici is another one uh, because they were picked in that last lot of games and now they're not playing in this uh, J- Japanese uh, fixture. Doesn't mean that they're not going to be involved. I think, depending on what conversations Ange has had with club coaches and the player themselves maybe they've decided to leave them out of the squad for this game a couple of the uh, the sms asking about uh, tommy rogic where's he at still injured still injured it's still not right i'm not sure at what point he is uh, I, I believe he's had groin surgery and uh it, they've ruled him out of the asian cup so he won't be available for that okay. this is really sad i mean this is a guy who's not played any more than 40 games of senior football in his whole career and there's so many Hopes pinned on him, uh, and he's still he's just That's been my, out of the game for so long. My memory right that he was the one that came off a, a television competition of some Yeah, Nike, the Nike Chance uh, project where yeah. he won the Australian version, went That's to right. England, and uh, where everyone from who'd won their regional uh, Nike um, sort of event uh, competitions all came together, and he then was selected. I think he won the, the world, the global version of it, and yep. uh, he had a lot of uh, interest from clubs around that. Uh, but just he just hasn't been able to take a trick with his body and yeah. that's his, that's been the problem not a lot you can do about that mm. Lenz in Heidelberg has given us a buzz on 94291116 hi Len G'day uh, Kevin G'day Carlos hey, wait. Uh, it's uh, good to come in on the back of this um, sport bringing people together sort of stuff I'm a Liverpool supporter uh, and I'm also an Essendon supporter I've been away for 25 years and I've come back to this facade of stuff so, and I'm a bit biased so I'm not very fond of the AFL and Demetrio and people like that but I love what Demetrio and the AFL and people like them have done with, um, you know, Aboriginal people at finals, welcoming people to their sacred sites. And, and I love the idea of um, a lot of Muslims now, um, instead of being stereotyped by idiots, because um, that's not that way in Europe, but, um, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're part of the game. I find that really quite um, uh, surprising and, and wonderful. I mean, Aboriginals have always been our best players probably anyway, but but to get them in that public welcoming sort of thing, I, I think it's really, really nice, and it, it really stuck out in my mind when I saw it. Um, the other thing is um, Liverpool hate um, Manchester United, and everybody knows that, but um, when uh, ex-Manchester United's uh, Ronaldo came off in the Liverpool match at Liverpool, they gave him a very, very nice ovation. And, and I really genuinely believe that, of course, Real's a much better side than Liverpool at the moment. And today they beat them 1-0 and probably could have beaten them 5-0 without, any, without raising a sweat. But they didn't. And I think that sort of, again, reflects that Liverpool supporters, unless you're a Manchester supporter or maybe Everton, have a very, very good reputation for being fair and honest. And, uh, and you know, I just uh, I, like, I like the idea of sport bringing people together. And I see it a lot more now than I used to. As I said, when I went away, there were no Muslim players. There were lots of Aborigines, but no, none of this uh, welcome to our 
you know, a tribal, a tribal heartland, etc., etc., etc. And I think the AFL has done very, very well there. Yeah, it's not only the AFL though, Lynn, and and you know, unfortunately, you know, you'll get some uh, you know Juventus fans out there saying, well, what about Heysel and what happened there with the Liverpool fans and you know the Italian deaths, and uh, they'll pick these uh, events throughout the history of football that where the, those values weren't shown, the, the values of sportsmanship and inclusion, and uh, and just uh, really bringing people together. In fact, you see the opposite. So. Football itself is bought, the football sport is built on those values of respect and teamwork and fair play and leadership and all those fantastic values that you want to teach your kids and you want to see you know, in junior sport every weekend or every time they get together. And uh, that's the, at, at its best, that's what you at see. At the purest, yes. at, at the purest, uh, that's yeah. what you see. And that's what we're seeing um, with West Sydney Wanderers. It doesn't mean that next week they won't have a right, you know, <laughs> if, they, if there's a bad refereeing decision, you know. Yeah, or, uh, and suddenly, you know, people will point the finger at, you know, uh, the, the behaviour and whatever. That's, that, it's not the sport that does that. The sport itself is built on fantastic values. It is the people who use it as a stage for antisocial behaviour that the finger should be pointed at. And we're seeing that across sport these days, not just in football. Yeah, absolutely. More with Carlos after the break. It's 13-2 here on 11-16 SEN. Carlos Alberto Diego is in the studio with me speaking of the world game. And uh, football is, is a game and nothing more. has no more values than a house brick, <laughs> according uh, to someone off the SMS. That's true to a point. Well, the, it's a game because humans play the game. And as we said before, at its purest form, it brings people together every weekend. And in 99% of cases, they actually exhibit great human values and they come together as a community building activity. Uh, you get the odd situation, it's always the minority yeah. across all sports, yep. that decide to use it as a stage for antisocial behaviour. Yep. So, yes, it is a, a game, uh, and we can write up a book about the game, but the games are being played by human beings, and of which. Across the world, every weekend, there's more humans playing it and, dis- and displaying great community-building values and behaviours uh, than the, the ones that wreck it. Otherwise, the games wouldn't go ahead. The DH factor, as we like to call it <laughs> now. Uh, Melbourne Victory, terrific again on Monday night. Uh, is this, a, is this, this fixturing on, the, on Cup Eve for a good idea? Oh, well, according to the, the crowd that turned up, yep. uh, you know, I think they got about 24,000. They called it a sellout because they couldn't give away the reserves. Uh, tickets, so I think it's a huge success, and I'm yep. glad they're playing at Amy Park because 24,000. They might have actually got probably 30,000 at Etihad. Uh, I think uh, Melbourne Victory done wonderfully well with that fixture, really since day one. And uh, and again, you know, even with a, a depleted team, uh, they didn't have Del, Del Pierre, they didn't have uh, Barisha, and a few others didn't play, didn't play. And in play, and uh, and suddenly the kids come in and uh, and Kalfala, Ben Kalfala, who I really love, the Tunisian international, who's who just comes on and scores. Or he, and it was interesting. Kevin Musket said that uh, he was disappointed being taken off. Well, I think he believes he should be in that team. So <laughs> he's got these blokes fighting for positions. Yep. They're beautifully coached at the moment. They're playing great football. Connor Payne comes on virtually his first touch, slots of goal away. The kids are playing well. Nice, nice assist by um, uh, young Mr. Thompson. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and it, suddenly there's no pressure on Archie Thompson because everyone else has sort of taken the, the shine off him, but yep. he's still producing. I tell you what, it must be a place where they're all up and about there at victory at the moment. Uh, uh, good momentum building and um, 
whether they can go for the whole season, not have any sort of a slump, just remains to be seen. But they've certainly got the squad at the moment. They've got the attitude in that squad, and it's looking pretty good for and them. And their depth has been tested yeah. too with those mm. uh, the, the midweek game against uh, Perth. Yep. Uh, games coming up this weekend. The victory will take on Newcastle uh, in Newcastle. Yeah, that's always a bit of a danger game for victory. I mean, they've had some uh, bad results there over the years. I'm not sure about the more recent results. I think they've they've been okay, but uh, the way the Newcastle's going at the moment, they, they you only I think got one point out of the four games so far. So I think mm. victory for sure. Uh, Steve's on the road wants to have a check. G'day, Steve. Yeah, boys, how you going? You good, mate. Uh, look, I um, just wanted to say something about uh, the A League and you know, and specifically the NSL bringing people together. Um, you know, I'm a proud Melbourneian of uh, Serbian and Croatian background. And as a kid, my dad used to take me to uh, the Witten Noble to watch Footscray on the Saturday and then to Footscray JST on the Sunday. Hey, just like <laughs> me. I was surprised I didn't run into you, Steve. Yeah, That's exactly. my weekends. They were my weekends. I was always on uh, opposite wing to Dougie Hawkins' wing, half forward flank, and then anywhere near where you've got some good chavapi on the Sunday <laughs> at Footscray JST. Yeah, no, that, that was my weekend, Steve. We should get together and have a chat about that one. And, and look, that was always special. And, and my granddad would never been Croatian. He never wanted to go to the Footscray JUST mm. games, you know, understandably so. And but what what I remember going to the first uh, Victory Grand Final with my dad, and he was he loved the fact that he saw so many kids, so many families, and and just the atmosphere. So he'd seen it turn in you know twenty or thirty years, and he thought that was fantastic. And so I thought bringing people together that was great. And just to sort of finish off as well was. Um, just the whole idea of bringing people together. Look, I, I remember uh, we would go and see um, Oscar Crino, and guys like that should be revered, you know. I don't want the A, um, the A League to have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. There's some great things with the NSL, and I think we should just look back and, and really, um, with some respect and really, um, and with some real pride and passion, say there were some fantastic things. And we should celebrate all the good things that were there with it. And it's helped grow the A-League to where it is today. Yeah, good call, Steve. Very, very, very good call there. We're going to send you off to the darts. You've got some bataki hams, a whole lot of goodies there for you. That's a, a very, very intelligent call. Yeah, and, and Oscar Crino would have been oh. a star. Would have been a star. He probably wouldn't be playing A-League. He'd be overseas yeah. making his millions at the moment. And there's a few others uh, during that time that were playing in the old Mad Dogs team. Alan Davidson, for example. I know he went over and played with Nottingham Forest for about two years. But, you know, if he was coming through right now, he wouldn't be playing in the A-League. He'd be over playing regularly in uh, in England or Germany or one of those uh, 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 competitions. We'll take a break and uh, wrap up the world game with Carlos after this here at 1116 SEN. Coming up to 2 o'clock, talking the world game with Carlos Alberto Diego. Dafed Villar, he came, he saw, did he conquer? Uh, he wasn't a failure. I don't think he was a yeah, failure. Uh, but we didn't get the most out of him, and it was almost forced upon us because he only stayed for four games. Yep. I feel sorry for uh, for City because of that. If they had him for the ten games, he would have not only been better on the ground because the other team, the other teammates would have blended with him better, but also they would have got more marketing. So I, I, you can't, I, I can't blame Melbourne City because of that. I think uh, the owners are New York City, and also maybe Manchester City probably made that call. So. But uh, City have got to improve. They don't improve. I mean, they've got Brisbane Raw away from home this week. Brisbane Raw are in trouble too. Yes. So, jeez. Uh, I don't know. It's, it, if they don't win this week, uh, Melbourne City, I think people will lose more and more faith. Who steps up and takes Via's spot 
and they need to find someone to score goals for him. Yeah, and David Williams is the obvious one for me. Yep. He's got to, he's, uh, you know, I think he was a pretty good player for them last year. He can be better. We talk about his potential all the time, but he's just got to stand up and be the player we all know he can be. Yep. And if he can, he'll score goals. Now, uh, the FFA Cup, Bentley versus Perth, Tuesday, November 11, 7.30, and Adelaide United take on Central Coast in South Australia, Wednesday, November 12th at 7.30. In a word, has that been a success? Oh, yeah, absolutely huge. And Bentley will win the semi-final too. They'll beat Perth? Yeah, they'll beat Perth. Will they? Yeah, yeah they're going to they're gonna beat Perth and make the final. Oh, there all right. Go. Carlos, Alberto, Diego, and the Diegos. He'd be on tonight then. Tonight, yes. 11 o'clock. Yep. Can't right wait. Here. On 11.16 SEN, coming up, the 2 o'clock news fix, and don't forget, after 3, it's the Jewel International, his good self. Jonathan Howcroft is in the building. Yeah, I've got a spring in my pants. <laughs>